This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. We began the week with big news that Aaron O'Toole had been chosen as the new leader of the Federal Conservative Party. What will Aaron O'Toole do for the older demographic in Canada? For one, the long-term care crisis associated with COVID-19 seems to have gone a bit silent, even though there are still many issues to resolve. But O'Toole, along with other federal and provincial leaders, have not been talking about how the virus devastated many nursing homes across the country. Our Zoomer squad joined Libby Snymer on Monday to discuss the results and what it means for older Canadians. Bill Van Gorder, Acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging, and Peter Mugrich, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. I was surprised that O'Toole won. I thought for sure they would go with the the establishment candidate in McKay, and uh, I I got that one wrong. I, I, I didn't see O'Toole winning it. Bill, do you think that uh, this will have an impact on CARP's issues? Uh, I, we, we do think that it uh, will. And it's kind of uh, good news and bad news for CARP members across the, the, yeah, the country. Um, there, was, uh, there certainly are some things in O'Toole's platform that uh, CARP is excited about, uh, talking about health care and housing and veterans' uh, work and financial security. We're all in this platform. All, all of those uh, hit a hot button for uh, older adults in Canada. Uh, but uh, on, the, on the other hand, the word seniors is not mentioned once in his entire platform. And I've been through the platform again this morning, and it's not, uh, not there, a few subjects. So uh, we're wondering whether uh, not only has long-term care fallen off the, uh, uh, the radar, but uh, adults, seniors, Older adults themselves seem to be being ignored now by both of the parties. Peter, at least uh, the Liberals will will have a more concerted opposition on seniors' issues. But do you think uh, that that it's basically ignored in his platform? Well, you know what? I, I was looking, and I didn't want to say I, there was no mention of it, but but I'll take Bill's word for it. I just couldn't find anything. You know, um, it, it seems to me his whole thing is. Um, it was an attempt to show that he's not going to be saddled with the same social issues as uh, as those which sunk uh, Shears' era, you know. So he that that seemed to be his main thing was was to you know distance himself from being tied up in these social issues, and um, you know other than that he looks he looks very much like a Harper era, uh, you know. He espouses the same values, economic values as Harper did. And Harper did have the support of older Canadians uh, during his uh, election victory, so perhaps that will translate to a tool. Maybe there will be some good action from that. But uh, you know, uh, as Bill says, like it, it's slim pickings right now. You just you just couldn't couldn't uh, you can't make a a call on it because there's nothing to to uh, parse. The the other thing that concerns us, by the way, is that the only time that long term care is mentioned in his platform, is he talking about establishing a commission? 
And CARP has said over and over, we don't need commissions, we don't need studies, we don't need reviews, we need action. Uh, and uh, to declare yet another uh, uh, commission is uh, is not in line with uh, the kind of immediate action that CARP members want now. As of the way things stand now, would you say that uh, the, the Liberals have a more age-friendly stance? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I think it's right up in the air because I think the uh, uh, the Liberals' uh, attention to seniors has not been to the degree that seniors were uh, looking looking for it. Uh, we've we've seen uh, uh, we've seen few of the promises that were made in their election campaign uh, actually come to uh, fruition. And what what CARP members are seeing is. Uh, a lack of interest in seniors' issues, other than uh, some issues around uh, uh, long-term care and the COVID issues around seniors, but a real lack of interest from uh, both the Conservative and the Liberal parties in recent months. And in, in fairness to uh, to uh, O'Toole, uh, what he talked about in terms of health care, housing, veterans, financial security, and taxes are all things that seniors can really identify with. What we want to make sure uh, happens is that these translate into what eventually becomes the party platform and wasn't just uh, a, a, a pre, uh, pre-election platform of his own. Bill Van Gorder, Acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The conservative leadership race has been fraught with complications. The entire campaign was delayed because of the pandemic, which also forced it online. Then the results were delayed for hours last Sunday because of technical problems. And most people did not learn until early Monday morning that Aaron O'Toole had become the new leader of the conservative party. Now moving forward, will Aaron O'Toole be able to unify the various factions in the Conservative Party after a sometimes nasty campaign between his camp and runner-up Peter McKay's? The conversation continued on Monday with our panel of political strategists, Bob Richardson, liberal strategist and senior counsel to National Public Relations, Kim Wright, NDP strategist and principal of Wright Strategies, and Jason Leader, conservative strategist and president at Enterprise. The ballot opening, sort of envelope opening schmazzle, that didn't help. That wasn't great. Uh, O'Toole missed, and the, the party sort of didn't do him a good service because he missed a, a good opportunity to have a real, you know, high-profile speech last night. I thought he gave a terrific speech. Now, I was a little surprised at the result, at the, at the, at the disparity. I thought it was going to be razor thin in terms of McKay and O'Toole. It turns out it wasn't. Most of that was because Ms. Lewis was just so strong that, and Mr. O, Mr. McKay just was weaker than expected. So, um, you know, listen, I've known Aaron O'Toole for a long time. He's more steak than sizzle. You know, he's, I think he's going to be a good contrast with the prime minister that way. Family man, former military, you know, principled guy. He's never going to light the world on fire with, uh, you know, with oratory or, or, you know, but, but I will say last night, I thought his speech was, it was friendly. It was humble. And it sort of extended a hand to those who probably haven't thought about voting conservative in the past. So he's going to do a few more of that. But I thought it was a good night outside envelope opening gate for sure. Kim Wright, your reaction. 
whether he has evolved in some of the social conservative rhetoric that he had employed in, in, in campaigns past his own previous leadership, I'd like to believe he's evolved as has most of society. Certainly he, uh, they, they knew down ticket where some of the others, certainly where Leslie Lewis's uh, remarkable uh, campaign uh, numbers were going, but also that 14 and a half percent or so uh, of of the points went to Derek Sloan. So there's a lot of questions still. Uh, Aaron's speech uh, was was really good, other than he didn't pronounce Jigmeet Singh's name properly, but, you know, we'll give that to being tired. Aaron's got a big job to do in his team of creating cohesion, creating a narrative that doesn't get hung up on the same uh, social conservative um uh, women's rights to choose LGBTQ issues, as you know, uh, Andrew Shear stuff did. While still, you know, making sure that the SoCons still feel somewhat at home within his party. That's going to be a challenge with recruiting candidates. It's going to be a challenge of how he manages his caucus in what are going to be very difficult days and weeks ahead as. Uh, Parliament, frankly, negotiates how to keep Canadians healthy, safe, and ongoing. So lots of work to do. I did like his speech a lot last night. I thought it was actually quite uh, quite big tent. Uh, the proof will be in the pudding of how big tent that is. But they were the the O'Toole campaign stayed away from some of the Twitter snarking. Uh, and really just worked on on the ground, voter to voter, identifying votes and getting them in the ballot box. Because ultimately, you can tweet all you want, but they have to get in the ballot box. Bob? I think he's a smart, hardworking, good MP. Uh, I thought he's been a solid front bencher for the Conservatives. And I thought he ran an excellent leadership campaign. He had a real solid team of uh, people. And uh, as Jason said, I think his experience of running uh, the previous time was a huge... Uh, was a huge advantage that people didn't recognize. I thought his speech was excellent, and it just showed how he will be infinitely better than Andrew Scheer, who was a complete disaster for the Conservatives last night, <clears throat> going out with a bang. Uh, but uh, I thought I thought O'Toole's speech was smart. I thought it was warm. <clears throat> I thought it was forward-looking. Uh, you know, I give him a lot of credit. I thought it was, uh, as, as uh, Kim was saying, uh, sort of a big tent speech. His problem is will will be the problem that any party leader ha- has, which is managing the various factions and managing what you've said in a leadership versus presenting yourself in a general election. So you know, there's a whole bunch of issues where uh, the conservatives, candidly, are not uh, in touch with the vast majority of public opinion on the environment, on guns, on choice, on other issues. So he's got some policy issues that he's going to have to deal with um, and figure out how he how he positions himself. But overall, I thought he did. uh, I thought he did a very, very good job. And congrats to him and, and to his team. Bob Richardson, liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations. Kim Wright, NDP strategist and principal of Wright Strategies. And Jason Leader, conservative strategist and president at Enterprise. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Ontario's nurses are joining the growing ranks of those opposed to the provincial PC's plans for reopening schools. 
The president of the RNAO is calling on the Ford Tories to cap elementary class sizes at 15 students and not reopen schools until all safety conditions are met, including mandatory face coverings for all students across the province. And it's not just a question of the wrong approach. One of the issues is that the government's plans seem to lack clarity and continuously change. Dr. Doris Greenspan is warning that if the province goes about reopening schools the wrong way, COVID-19 cases could rise. Dr. Greenspan joined Libby Snymer on Tuesday to discuss and spoke first about the optimal number of children per classroom. If you look at Denmark, which is really a country to look at how are they doing it well, they have about 12. Okay, and they didn't open all the classes. They open up to K-5. Uh, they have the masking. They have hand washing every hour and a half. And this comes as a government directive for everybody. So basically schools cannot open if they don't have all the protocols in place. And they have worked very collaboratively with the unions of teachers, uh, school boards, etc. I think what's going on in here from the top down, even countrywide, is that we are very collegial between different levels of government, but we actually don't have a collective plan. So when it comes to Toronto, Ontario, then the Premier and Minister Litchi say, well, we have the best plan in the country. Well, that's not good enough when we are comparing to other countries that have even a better plan. You would think that the school boards are the people on the ground and they would know what they need. So it's like telling any of us, you know, your reserves that you have, um, use them all uh, because we're not going to come to rescue you. We have come to rescue many others, Libby, and I, uh, we feel it's a bit dangerous to really mortgage the future of schools. So I think it should be a, you know, middle ground between what the government puts and what the school boards put, and equally important is we have really a timing issue here, and that's why we're saying we absolutely need to send the, the children and young adolescents back to school, but when it's safe. And at this point, it's unclear what's the plan. Many parents are going to keep kids at home. Obviously, that creates a tremendous inequity because not everybody can do that. And the fundamental factor in the success of schools reopening is the continued containment of the virus or the absence of it, right? And meaning no community spread. And if we don't have a serious plan, we will start to have community spread. And then we will be back to square zero, not only with schools, but actually with the economy and our life. I've heard from a lot of people that the online courses did not work. And I think it's patchy. I think some of them were a lot better than others. Yeah, I think the issue of all or nothing is very complicated. I was talking with our own grandkids yesterday and with the older one. I mean, and even the young, the, the one that is nine years and 12, 12 years old. Can you picture sitting long, long hours for a for a child that age in front of a screen 
uh, actually, these days, yes, I can. Well, <laughs> it's yes, hard to games, pry them away. But not for, you know what I mean? And we don't want that for games, long hours. But for teaching and for learning, I mean, ideally, it should be really staggered in class with the good-sized classes. I wish we would have started in August when the weather is nice so you can do the classes outside, not only inside, to get going with that so the kids become acquainted to that. Now we have mid-September, right? So weather is still good. Are we thinking a bit of doing outside until we figure out the issue of size classes? Size classes is a critical piece if we don't want the kids to be sitting at their desk with masks all the time, like all the time. And that's too much, right? They need breaks. Dr. Doris Grinspun, president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. It was an unprecedented move by professional athletes, a decision this past week by players to pause their games, first in the NBA and the WNBA, then Major League Baseball, soccer, tennis, and the NHL. It was a demonstration against anti-black racism and police brutality, the most recent examples of which is the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Wally Rigabond is the co-host of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour here on Zoomer Radio. He joined Libby with his take on the events during Thursday's Fight Back. It's a momentous time in American history right now. There's a lot of civil conflict and the NBA players have decided to take a principled stand and hopefully some positive uh, at some point will come out of this. You know, I lived through the 1960s. Some good things came out of that time period. Obviously not enough. We still have some tremendous social justice issues, but that would be my take on it, Libby. Uh, we've tried to avoid politics on the Nazawali Sports Hour for, for six years because I always uh, was careful whatever opinion I would have would probably make 50% of my listeners happy and 50% of my listeners very upset at me. So we've always tried to avoid mixing sports and politics, but I think we're in an era that we cannot avoid it. It's not a first for celebrities of, of whatever kind to, Well, you know, it's a first for sports. It is a first for sports, yes. Uh, well, but it started with the whole, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick taking the knee. Well, we can say it started with Colin Ka- Kaepernick taking the knee. Yes, in the modern era, you can say that's where it started. But, uh, you know, this uh, protest by black athletes, is, it just didn't start a couple in the, in the recent past. And, you know, in the 1968 Olympics, you know, Juan Carlos and Tommy Smith went up on the podium and, and, and with black gloves and, and had a salute. In 1967, there was something called the Cleveland Summit, which, uh, which was an event organized by NFL Hall of Famer Jim Brown to address uh, the racial uh, issues at the time that was attended by a lot of the leading athletes of that time period. Somewhere these issues sort of, I wouldn't say got lost over the last 50 years, but have come, obviously, because of recent events, have really bubbled to the surface, and people can no longer ignore them. And, you know, good for the athletes. I've been, I mean, one thing I've said on the air, you know, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods were criticized throughout their careers uh, for not being 
more vocal in addressing social justice issues. They were criticized because they thought, uh, you know, for, for whatever reason, they didn't want to get in the middle of it. Uh, Probably the same thing uh, that you were just talking about. You yeah. don't want to annoy half of their uh, half of their yeah, but, fans. Yeah, correct. And you know they they they've been big Nike guys, but Nike, you know they uh, they fully supported Colin Kaepernick. Um, and Michael Jordan has been a little bit more vocal lately, uh, and good for him. Uh, Tiger Woods has been a little bit more vocal lately. Do you uh, and, and good for him? Do you think uh, that uh, what they're doing? is effective? That's the million-dollar question. Um, it's effective. Um, yes, I, 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 I think it, you know, bringing social justice issues to the forefront and to, and, to, and to have public debates about some of these issues to the extent that it enters the conversations and for people who it isn't on their radar screens, it forces a lot of us and I'm not talking about myself or you or, or any of our listeners, but generally forces a lot of us to really think about what's going on. And, and what I've heard is the NBA players um, are going to uh, enter into conversations and they are going to come forward with concrete actions, concrete proposals for their owners and, and in terms of how they think uh, what measures can be taken to address some of these issues. I'm looking forward to that. It's one thing to boycott and protest, and God bless people who do it peacefully. Uh, uh, it's, it's another thing to come forward with concrete measures to improve the lives of people. To the extent that the NBA protests will advance those causes, you know, I pat them on the back. Some people won't see it that way, but anything that moves us to a more just society has to be applauded. Wally Rigabon, co-host of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Listen for more with Naz and Wally and their special guest, former Raptors coach Butch Carter, tomorrow morning at 9. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Dave in Brampton phoned with some secondhand knowledge about what teachers are being told about back to school. My daughter's a school teacher. And she also has Lyme disease. Oh, dear. Here you go. And basically what she told me is they're making it as tough as they can to, uh, uh, to let's say, work at home. Uh, if you take a leave and then something happens, uh, again, it's a problem. She basically either has to go in the classroom or work from home, but they're making it as tough as they can for you to work at home. That's what her she tells me. And now... Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Michael, who phoned from the road with his take on what he sees as a mess around back to school during COVID-19. I think we've been sadly left down by teachers' unions, boards of education, and the teachers themselves in, in the matter of uh, implementing back policies and procedures. They've known about this <clears throat> pandemic since March. Uh, what did they meet and come up with in March? Nothing. How about April? Nothing. May? Nothing. June? Nothing. And then finally they started to wake up to the fact that, hey, the kids are 
probably going to go back to school in September. What are we going to do about it? Well, they came up with nothing. And I suppose to shield their embarrassment over the fact that they just aren't performing in a professional manner, they're trying to stick the government with blame on, on for this. Oh, the government's to blame for all of this. Oh, the Ministry of Labor hasn't acted on uh, implementing ASHRAE ventilation recommendations. It's just the teachers, the unions, the boards are all covering themselves up. They sat at home drawing full salaries all during the pandemic, and now they're crying the blues. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby and have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.